listening to episode 164 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season one of TNT's The Librarians. Tonight, we're here to finally discuss the Christmas episode, which we thought we were going to discuss a few weeks ago, but, you know, hey, what better time to discuss a Christmas episode than August 2nd? Right, it just seemed to work out perfectly as far as the dates, you know. Yeah, and of course we have the cold spell now that's hit Maryland. Um, I believe when I looked last, it was eighty-two. Yeah, I know. I I got my parka out for that day. Yeah, uh, and you and I were talking before we went on the air. Uh, you know, all joking aside, with this rain we had over the weekend, uh, the town of Ellicott City has just been just been devastated. And for anybody that lives in, uh, you know, Howard County, Baltimore County. Montgomery, they've probably been to Ellicott City at one point, very historic town, but it is located. I don't know. I was saying to my wife, I'm not sure exactly the definition of a floodplain, but obviously Ellicott City is located along the Patapsco River. Right. And it's flooded quite a few times, right? Yeah. Like in the past 30, 40 years. Um, But yeah, that was, uh, man, that was really bad. It's because funny because like before there's been hurricanes that have flooded Ellicott City, but this was just a rainstorm. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Now, there's a, a, a video out there. I don't know if you saw it. Uh-huh. Or not, yeah, I saw it. Yeah. That, that some people filmed from inside the restaurant where they were having dinner. It, it's just it's just frightening. I mean, it looks like a disaster movie. Right. Well, did you see the one where the people like form the human chain? Yes. That? Yeah. That was, man. And the one guy, he almost got washed away. <laughs> Jesus, holy cow. That was... I saw that. The guy just, you see him, like, the wire hits him, and he, like, stumbles. I think he grabbed the car, but, oh, my God. Well, what was worse, and I I don't know if you noticed this or not, and and I just, uh, you know, obviously, well, I'm older than you are. I'm a lot older than the girl that got saved, but I just wanted to smack her. Did you you notice? She has her cell phone in her mouth. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, the, well, I think the one lady just yells at her, like, you know, I think she's like, drop your shit and get out of the effing car, you know, like, kids, in moments like those, just leave the cell phone and save your life. Well, I, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm speechless. I'm just, <laughs> let's just leave it there because I, I have no words for that, for, for that <laughs> kind of mentality. Yeah. All right. Well, season one, episode four of The Librarian's. The Librarians and Santa's Midnight Run. But as always, before we get to that, we want to remind you we'd love to hear from you via email, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com, website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. You can record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment, or just send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatch, and we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group, join the discussions there. And, you know, again, before we started recording, we were talking about uh, the fact that, you know, we obviously have been talking about doing Michael Crichton's Westworld when it debuts on HBO this October. But now with the news that season three of The Librarians is going to uh, begin in November and how much fun we've been having with season one. And, and so Wayne and I are talking about how to handle all of this. Uh, when we finish season one of the librarians, we may not be done with the librarians. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to be done with it. Nah, me either. <laughs> this is way too much fun. Yeah. So, all right. A few uh, listener shout outs this week. Uh, Beth Creedle, 
Nellis Muriel, Defiance Alliance, All-Stars the Movie, Texas Twister, Henry Morgan's Scarf, Staying In, Valerie, Mary E. Brewer, William Engler, Lori Schaefer, Brewer number seven, which I think may be another incarnation of Mary Brewer, but uh, <laughs> Star of the C-22, Eric Fisher, Jilly Bean, Cleric, Mental Gin, Mary D., Davia, who's obviously been around for a while sure. with us, Anna, Cheonis, and Barb Furtado. So again, thank you guys for uh, helping our visibility out there with your tweets. And we did get a little bit of listener feedback via Twitter. Davia says, I'm really loving your reviews of the librarians. It's allowing me to see the more serious side of the episodes. And yeah, that, and that's what makes it so much fun. Well, and, and that's, I guess, part of like the, you know, the genius of, of it is that they, you know, as we said, they, while it is lighthearted, you know, there's also some very serious things that happen, you know, like the, especially the danger, the danger is very real and everything. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if a show, say, like Warehouse 13, which you can't help but sure. uh, think about. I don't know if if that got you know a, as deep in character development as, as Librarian seems to be. But again, uh, we also heard from Denise, or NV Ghost, who was re- replying about Van Helsing. She says, I watched, and I'm hopeful, but the cinematography looks cheap. Hope that improves. And uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, did you? Nope. Okay, so what Sci-Fi did, it debuts officially September 23rd, but they did a special airing commercial-free right after Sharknado 4. So, oh, uh, man, I watched Sharknado 4, but I didn't hang around for Van Helsing. I just missed it. Yes, so I'm covering it for <laughs> Den of Geek, so I wrote a review, and I know what she means when she says the cinematography looks cheap. There, there were a few CGI scenes that... Had they looked a little bit more realistic, they would have really been even more powerful than they were. But at the helm, and I'm not sure exactly their titles, but Simon Barry, uh, obviously from Continuum, mm-hmm. is involved. And on the panel at Comic-Con, he was on the far left seat, you know, the first seat when he's introduced, but then also Jonathan Lloyd Walker, who was one of the primary writers on continuum. And, you know, he's on the writing team here as well. So I'm going to trust that they know what they're doing, but I I will say this, the, the, the one thing, and in my review, I, I put it right up front. Let's get this out of the way. Now, comparisons to the walking dead are unavoidable and i assume the showrunner and the writers and the producers they had to know that was going to be talked about but that said i liked it a lot okay well that's all that counts dave yeah exactly all right well let's get on to the librarians and santa's midnight run yes Uh, as we said aired as episode four but it was intended to be episode six but you know, they wanted to get it right before Christmas, which they did. Sure. Written by Paul Guyot, who wrote seven episodes of The Librarian, and then also show creator John Rogers, directed by Jonathan Frakes again. Yeah. And, yeah. And who I also one, it, saw did the uh, the movies, the Librarian movies. Oh, at he, least he, I think he did two of the them. The two of them. The, yeah, the second two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this one aired December 21st, 2014. Guest stars, as we've been 
saying Bruce. a number of times. Exactly. Bruce Campbell, who we know from Ash versus Evil Dead. And he also had a, a, a big part in Burn Notice, which, you know, it's one of those shows that I've seen a lot of the episodes. I enjoyed it anytime I saw it, but never sat down, you know, season one at the beginning and worked my th- way through. But it was an enjoyable show. And then also okay. Matt Frewer again as Duloc. Uh, man, he's so evil. Oh, he is. He 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 does evil as well as anybody. I wonder if he's actually evil because he does evil so well. It just seems like. <laughs> but to be fair, he does comedic evil. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. All right. Standard Christmas episode that focuses on not. Somebody... Well, <laughs> now what do you mean not? I mean, like, well, they, they kind of use that framework, but it goes so far away from like what you'd expect out of a Christmas episode outside of the realm of Doctor Who, I guess. Okay, and, and, and you know, when you think about it, a lot of shows do Christmas episodes. Sure. But I think when you get down to it, there's Doctor Who and everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know I don't have to convince you of this, but when you examine the librarians in this Christmas episode, dude, I don't know. It's right there. Yeah. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah, this, and, this could be a, a Doctor Who episode. Easily, I mean, not. I'm saying like by copy. I'm just saying in like terms of quality and everything. Exactly. And if if I had to rank, I don't know. This would be up there fighting for the top spot. Yeah. Yeah. So now, when I say standard episode, I, I guess what I mean is, you know, that that thematic idea of somebody that's bad trying to ruin the good in Christmas, and then. You know, the, the the good people along the way trying to do whatever it is that they can do to save it. And then there's always somebody whose attitude is turned. And right, obviously right. in this episode, that would be Eve. Yep. So, yeah, they, they absolutely, those elements are definitely there. But you know, how they achieve those elements is really where this, this episode really shows its uh, absolute top quality, you know. Right. And, and again, uh, I... I I hope nobody is offended by the fact that that we do draw those comparisons between the librarians and Doctor Who. I don't know why they would, because both shows are just top quality. But right, well, I, I think you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, obviously, you watch the librarians. It's it's difficult not to first of all think about Warehouse Thirteen. I'm not sure what came first, the librarian or Warehouse Thirteen, but the you know, it's, and Doctor Who as well, because there are all shows that had. Uh, really good, strong characters that had pretty snappy dialogue, a lot of action, science fiction involved and everything. So, yeah, they, there are a lot of similarities between those shows, but uh, obviously the dynamics, you know, what makes the librarians the librarians is that dynamic between the, you know, the four main characters, really. Right. Now, I, I guess the librarians movie came before Warehouse 13 because the first movie was 2004. Okay. So, now... This episode also examines the fact that each of us possesses an inherent goodness, and even if we stray, it's still there. And again, that's not a thematic idea that that's foreign to most people. But what I did like was, again, one of the touches that Santa has the ability to recognize each individual's desire to be good, and that that desire counts for something. Well, especially right. with Ezekiel, right? It, with Ezekiel, and and. I think the thing in this episode, last week was Cassandra's episode. I, I think it's fair to say this is more Eve's episode yeah, oh, than anybody else. Definitely Eve-centric. 
Right. But, but, but me, Ezekiel, a quite a close second. Yeah. Well, I was about to say Cassandra, a close second. True. You know, it's so funny because, like, with all the, you know, the the librarians and everything, to me, every time I think about this episode, Cassandra's reactions when she finds out that Santa is real and everything are just, like, the things that stick in my mind the most. I remember watching it for the first time. Just, I was, like, crying. I was laughing so hard, like, at, at all that. It was it was just great. Until the end. Uh, well, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, you're... you're, you're you're not reading my mind here. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, that whole idea of believing in the simple joy of Christmas, which which should transcend the holiday to encompass the entire year. But of course, we're all guilty of that. Sure. And, and this one's as much about Eve believing as anything, because the others, they find joy in the holiday, even if it's just simply stone being able to engage in a good old-fashioned bar brawl yeah. on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve punch-up, yeah. <laughs> now, it, it's funny. There was never any question for me what grade I was going to give this episode once I got through it. But when you go back and reflect, okay, it, it's a really good episode. To me, it earns that plus because of the last six minutes. Yeah. And, and yes. how emotional yes. that scene between Santa and Eve is and that, yeah, they 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 turned it up to eleven with that scene for sure. And, and you know, one of the things that that the librarians and again, since we've been podcasting about it, I'm really much more aware of it than I ever was before. But the opening scenes are so brief, yeah, which is fine. They right. go to the you know the credits and then they jump right in. So we're at a soup kitchen on Christmas Eve. Armed robber comes in demanding the money from the donations and. And even Bruce Campbell's character points out the folly of that, which, you know. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And he's dressed like, he's well-dressed, right? He's like in a suit and a long, nice business, you know, trench coat and everything. And it it doesn't look like your common, well, not that I would really know what an armed robber looked like per se, but, you know, he seems awfully well-dressed for an armed robber. Santa, well, at this point, uh, Bruce Campbell's character starts talking him down and, and starts getting into that that whole idea that I know you want to be good. There's there's somebody you want to be good for, right? Your mother, or, or and then just as we we think that the the scenes leveled out, boom, he gets hit by a dart yeah. <laughs> that not that knocks him out, right? Well, just the fact that you see, I mean, I remember, you know, watching this the first time and not expecting Bruce Campbell. I was like, like it's like right there in the, the very first scene of it. And it's just like, it's shocking like that, uh, you know, I mean, he's obviously carries such weight as far as a, a, you know, a star. And when he's a guest star in something that carries like super, super weight. And then to put him in there right away, it's just like, whoa. Right. And, and it's funny. I mean, look, burn notice. In terms of popularity, I mean, it's not like it's NCIS, but it was certainly one of the highest rated cable shows at that time. So since he was a major character on that show, he was pretty visible. And now, of course, as Ash, he's pretty darn visible in the horror genre. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's I think probably more people would recognize him from the Evil Dead movies than from Burn Notice, right? Yeah, I, I guess it yes. would depend on their age. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, all right, well, Santa's been knocked out by a dart, and then we cut to the annex, and the team's decorating the place, and we see a number of reveals right away, 
number one, no matter how much Eve tries to order her new workspace, <laughs> it won't let her. Yeah, <laughs> and then I love Jenkins Flynn's. <laughs> exactly, I love I love Jenkins' explanation of that. And then, of course, when we get to the end, that's her wish, right? The what for the the desk to be ordered for uh, to to, to be ordered the way she wants it. Yeah, well, we'll get I'm not. all right. Okay, we'll talk. Right. She also seems a bit surprised at the level of joy each of those three has about decorating, and. It doesn't really come as a surprise when Cassandra tells us that her parents told her Santa's not real at the age of three because they felt it was impacting negatively her intellectual development. Yeah, that's harsh. Yeah. So so certainly we've got the, the idea that these parents really pushed her to you know to to reach the heights that she's reached and certainly intellectually she's she's got a lot going for i guess you could argue that her any issues she has now are not necessarily related to what her parents did to her but rather the tumor right but it, it what does it does show us aside her is that probably she really didn't have much of a childhood or you know i mean like she had a childhood but she didn't get to probably just be a kid, you know, and do silly things or meaningless things. You know, like she probably, you know, had to, you know, go to tutors over the summer and, you know, did enriching things and probably never just got to go out and ride her bikes or, you know, roll around in mud and just do, you know, regular kid stuff. Sure. Right. Her parents probably made her sign up for an SAT class and she was thrilled when it ended up getting canceled. (laughs) Right. Yeah, but but you know, again, as you're talking about that, it, it really does seem to be something that that probably does impact the the level of confidence that she has, or or rather that she lacks, right? And that it doesn't really have anything to do with the tumor. It's just the tumor that is then another you know element that's really standing in her way of being the person she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think we yeah you know, we've talked about her kind of like the yeah you know, I mean really the only the one bad decision that she's made has come not out of any evil intent but out of her you know insecurity a lack of confidence but as, as we see her develop uh, I think we see her becoming more and more and we, certainly last week we talked about you know how much more confident self assured she was in that episode and I think we see it again here. Yeah. Now the one person that really surprised me is stone because he starts reminiscing about being with his family and i thought up to this point his family was the problem and now now granted he mentioned specifically his cousins and the possibility of a christmas eve bar brawl so perhaps you know he's been talking about his parents and any siblings but still that did surprise me yeah well we always knew that he had like kind of family issues and that he is this genius, but he's always hidden his genius. We're not sure why it seems like it had something to do with his family, but yet you're right. He does, you know, what he misses about Christmas or what he likes about Christmas is, you know, being with the family even, but, but you're right. He mentions cousins and not like mom, dad or brothers or anything like that. 
Right. And then not unexpectedly, Jones says, I actually really love Christmas. All those valuables lying around, clearly marked by wrapping paper and bows. <laughs> but then in the next breath, he says he wouldn't mind knowing what it's like to be the good guy. And we don't really realize it at this point, but each of the three has laid out what they really wish for. Yes. Uh, Cassandra to be able to truly believe in Santa Claus, Stone to get his bar brawl, and Jones a chance to be the good guy. Yeah. And obviously Stone's wish is a little less weighty, I guess, than the others. But still, it, it, it is a, a wish. I don't know if you noticed uh, the one scene as, as he's wrapping presents there. Ezekiel grabs one. And he, like, spins the scissors around his hand and then stops them. Like, they're going straight down like a knife. And then Ezekiel drops the present. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Wow. It's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, just... You know, it's just rewatching things. You catch these little details and everything. But I, and I've missed that one before the first time I'd seen it. So you know, when I saw it this time around, I was like, oh, my God, that is too much. Well, the three of them are having the time of their life. Jenkins enters, tells them Christmas is canceled worldwide because Santa has disappeared. Eve is immediately thrilled, as is Cassandra, though, for different reasons. Yeah, like I said, her reaction is absolute pr- like her eyes just bug out she throws her hands in the air she's like what <laughs> you know it's just like oh it's so it's great oh yeah well another twist that we learn or and on the whole santa i don't want to say myth but i guess i'll have to say myth that he's the immortal avatar of goodwill not real in the ordinary sense but he's that being that absorbs the world's kindnesses and goodwill and then on Christmas Eve dispenses it throughout. And, and I, I just love that idea that if he, you know, that he has to get it out and that when, once we get to Christmas time, the world uh, is running short on goodwill. And perhaps that's why a lot of people are cranky around the holidays, although the reality is there's so much pressure and stress that associate. Right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's definitely not because you're trying to figure out how to come up with the money to buy presents and running around to get the presents and figuring out what to do and all that. Yeah, that's that's not the stuff that's making people cranky at all. Right. So they deduced that the last time Santa was seen was in London at a soup kitchen. So it's off to London. Everybody's except, excited to go except Eve. So basically, we've got a missing persons procedural. Santa was last seen at the soup kitchen. Still not calling him Santa, he says. And and again, her retorts and the the dynamic between Bruce Campbell and Rebecca Romine, they were just priceless. Yeah, that was really, they worked really, really well together. They were great. Especially the ho-ho. Yeah. (laughs) And the look she would give him. Uh Uh, It was just great. So. Stone and Cassandra, and and again, on the one hand, at, at this point, and we've said a number of times with the episodes going out of order, the more we see those two work together, I think the, the happier we'll all be as, as they work out their differences. Sure. And you can see here when um, they're trying to figure out, you know, whether they're trying to find Santa and figure out where Dulac has taken him, you know, Cassandra start, is trying to remember what she can of when Dulac took her. And she starts kind of, 
you know, again, like veering off, but it's Jacob, the one who is there to calm her down and say, hey, okay, hey, focus and get her to, to figure out, you know, remember the pertinent things. It, it, exactly. Okay, fine. You, you don't remember seeing anything. What do you remember hearing? Exactly. That he's become attuned to her abilities and really is starting to, to learn how to best bring her strengths out. Right. But the interesting thing, they see the tattoos and they realize it's the Serpent Brotherhood. And then Jenkins' reaction, well, if they've got Santa, we know what happens next. They kill him. And I'm thinking, well, why? Right. And, of course, at this point, we, we don't know. Well, we and, just the Serpent Brotherhood is super evil, right? Oh, right. But, you know, when we learn what Dulock really wants, which is to absorb all of that goodwill, which he thinks will make him powerful, which, you know, it may or may not, I don't know. But why why wouldn't you want to keep Santa alive so that he can absorb it the next year and then you can steal it from him and then yeah. let him absorb? Uh, well, I think because to get his power, they have to kill him, I think. Is that? I okay. think I think that that's the deal. But, and, and again, from going back and watching the movies, now you remember, like the Serpent Brotherhood is just like, evil they're just super evil they just they're evil all the time they just do evil things you know like so um of course he's gonna want to kill santa because that's like the most evil thing that they can do but i also like how you know lammy is like well why don't we just kill him now it's like no you can't kill him now we gotta wait till midnight you know like this whole convention of the bad guy uh delaying carrying out their plans of doing the the bad thing to so it gives the good guys plenty of time to you know kind of catch up and thwart their plans. Yeah, he's just being greedy, and I think she certainly recognizes that. And, and it's almost as if she recognizes what formidable foes the librarians have become. Yeah, and that Duloc seems to be just ignoring that for whatever reason, but. So the team prepares to do battle. Cassie tries to remember using her other senses, as, as you mentioned. Jones runs the facial recognition software on traffic cam to try to pinpoint Duloc's location in London. And as she's remembering the details, even Stone is impressed, and, and you alluded to this, and, and he smiles when she's able to determine which direction the car was moving. Mm -hmm. So it's like, ah, uh, the wall's coming down. I think this is probably the one where, yeah, exactly. Like the wall comes down, we start to see him really begin to get over his lack of trust and everything, which is why, you know, like I said, it was so strange when this episode comes before the ones we've previously done, you know, like his commenting on his lack of trust. It's like, well, you know, wait, where's that come from? Because, you know, here, there, there's nothing of that at all. He's completely trusts her in this episode. Right. And and then he's able to narrow it down to one particular architecturally classic house. And then I love his line, architecture is just art we live in. Why doesn't anybody get that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think he, he's, he's used to people that kind of like not getting him, you know, so which is like kind of the great thing about it. He's definitely this, well, I mean, all of them are like these really strong individual characters. And uh, yeah, so it's cool. Well, ironically, again, Duloc has Redstone. I think he even mentions in both your incarnations. Right. So, uh, but Stone and Eve get caught in Duloc's library filled with priceless artifacts. It's, it's classic how they escape. 
I'm wondering, is this supposed to be some subliminal education taking place for the kiddies when they watch this episode? <laughs> right. Well, they have to rewind and go back, because I can't remember what any of those things were. <laughs> I know. But but then it goes it goes back to the question, and, and whether this has to do with his family, why Stone does not publish under his own name. Right. And, and in fact, Dulock must know, because he sort of taunts him about it. Sure. Yeah, well, I, it, there's something that definitely yeah you're right it seems like Dulac at least yeah has some inkling of of what uh, Jacob's kind of big secret is here right and, and then Lamia reminds Stone you know not not as if he really needs reminding of their last encounter and idiot that he is he starts buying into her tease and then <laughs> Eve gives him a finger jab yeah. to the chest yeah but yeah. obviously using the artifacts to escape it's just pure genius. Yeah. Well, not to really escape, right? They're just delaying. They're just keeping him busy so that Ezekiel and Cassie can get Santa. Jones and Cassandra come down the chimney to rescue Santa. And now the team assembles. And I think this is the first point at which Santa starts referring to himself in the third person. Uh, yeah, maybe he did before. But yeah, this is where we really start to notice it. And says he needs to be in the North Pole, and he's not going to go to safety with the librarians. So they split up. Eve takes Santa, who claims he has his sleigh parked nearby. And and then that line, Santa senses that Eve Baird does not have the Christmas spirit. And obviously then it raises that question of why Eve really hates Christmas by all appearances. Yeah, like the... Not Ebenezer Scrooge type hate, but certainly someone who does not really get into the spirit, who who fails to see the spirit of Christmas because of where she's been every Christmas, right? Right. And the reason that she was where she was each Christmas. Right. Um, before, I just, what, I, I, I got to stop this just really briefly because there is that great scene where uh, when Ezekiel and Cassandra first come face to face with Santa and he knows their names, and they both say, Santa knows my name, but they say it differently, right? <laughs> like, like, for she's like, oh, Santa knows my name. It's all excited. And then Ezekiel's like, Santa knows my name. Ah, <laughs> crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just, that, that was, again, just, it's like these little touches that this show has that just make it so great. You know, it's like something like that that's just awesome. Well, somebody touched Santa's sled and stole it. Yeah, someone yeah. jacked Santa's sleigh. <laughs> so now Jones posing as Santa because what they're trying to do is is you know run the decoy play. So he's wearing Santa's hat, and then obviously Stone and Cassie are going to draw Duloc's people away. But it's clear that the hat is having an effect on Jones. And again, each time one of these incidents occurs, Jones does something good. And then he chastises himself <laughs> as he's doing it. Sometimes, yeah, right, as he's doing it, right? So it's not like even afterwards he regrets it. It's like as he's doing it, it's like, why am I doing it? You, know, like he's, you can see him throwing the money at the guy. He just, he's got this pained look in his face like, oh, no, this is terrible, but he can't right. stop himself. Right, he knows he's acting out of character, but, but as you said, he's powerless to stop himself. But we do learn that there are different incarnations of Santa. Again, another twist that the writers put on this episode. And that at this point, he's in his trickster phase. And we're assuming it's because of the hat, which is his 
talisman. Uh, obviously, that's why it's affecting Ezekiel the way it is. Now, Santa knows why Eve hates Christmas and then infers that her name is somehow connected. And I, look, obviously, we know she tells him to back off. Like, she she won't even broach the no. subject. She's just like, no, you're going too far. Right? And, and he says, well, Christmas is the holiday that brings everybody together. And then before she can really respond to that, the truck runs out of gas in Canada. Of course it does. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Cassie wonders whether or not Santa has to be at the North Pole. Could there be ley lines that would produce the same effect and, and that, you know, she figures that if they tap into the ley lines using northern lights. Which again, now that I think about it, if this comes before the last episode, you don't know what ley lines well, are. Well, that's true. Good. Right? Because they only explain that to us in the, uh, the haunted Good house point. Okay. Aha. But before we have a chance to even think about that, Jones wearing an apron <laughs> comes out having made hot chocolate and cookies. Yeah, <laughs> and and then I forget who who asks him where he got the apron. And then of course we see a sheepish Jenkins uh, trying to pretend it's not his apron, but we yeah. we know it is. Yeah, and then he's like stuffing the uh, you know the, the stockings full of like you know candy canes and stuff. Right, but then at that point, and, and again, one of the things they just did so brilliantly in this episode is just take us on this roller coaster ride of our emotions. Because then in the very next scene, Santa tells Eve that he understands that her holiday sadness results from her feeling she has no place that she belongs, which is true. Although, obviously, being the guardian now has given her a new sense of family. But then we find out that she was raised as an army brat. And then, as you mentioned, you know, she was always stationed somewhere. Why? Because people were fighting. So yeah, it's I guess it's you know, and she saw that what she considers hypocrisy of it of people coming together and saying you know we're all one, we're all human beings, and peace and joy and love and everything, but we're in a war zone. Like it's just like the the Christmas armistice in World War One, sure. right? Like there was like a day where everyone came out and exchanged presents, but uh, you know the next day it was back to business as usual back to business killing each other you know so well and as santa tells her in one of his most poignant lines that even if a man's actions can't be changed right there's no going back if you do something you do it but a human heart can always be changed right and that was definitely one of the more christmas specialty type lines you know sure but it was nice all right. Well, they they arrange a plane, so they're going to try to fly to uh, you know the the point whether they make it to the North Pole or not. At, at least yeah. where the ley lines will converge. And still wearing the hat, Jones hears the pilot's sad story that he's had to give up being with his fiance on this Christmas Eve, and, and the two sides of Jones fighting with <laughs> each other. Right. Well, and then, you know, Cassandra knowing what's going on, but just kind of letting it happen, you know, like, which I thought was great. Because you're like, hey, well, why doesn't she just step in and say, absolutely not? But I guess part of her thinks, like, like it's important for Jones to let this guy go. Sure. You know? Sure. Again, that, that inherent goodness in Jones, where, again, we go back to the top of the episode where he says, I, I 
wouldn't mind finding out what it's like to be the good guy. Right. But I don't think he's really enjoying it very much, though. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. Is he enjoying it or is he mad at himself because he's enjoying it? Oh, that's an interesting question, Dave. But uh, speaking of enjoyment, Stone gets his bar fight, as does <laughs> Odin. Yeah. Which is another incarnation of Santa. Yes. Odin wants more beer. He breaks the glass over his head. Odin wants to spill blood. Yeah, that's the best. That is the best. So Stone gets his bar brawl. Everybody. No, no, like, really? So I get you're in Canada. Does the bartender really going to have a hockey stick that he's going to pull out? You know, it's just like. In case you forgot we're in Canada, we'll find actors who say "aboot" a lot, and then uh, we're gonna have the guy come out from behind the bar with a hockey stick for the for the bar yeah, brawl. Well, I was okay with that. <laughs> okay, all right. So Odin's told to chill, and that that's when he utters his uh, "Odin wants to spill blood" line. Everybody's together at the airport now, but there's no pilot. Well, Santa can fly large objects through the air. He tells them, and we learn that idea that Santa's carrying all the good acts humanity's done over the past year, but it's as if he has to release sort of right. like Johnny Mnemonic. Oh man, I haven't seen that movie in I ages. Know, but right, same concept. You got you got to yeah. get it out of your head. Right, right. And tells them that they have to deliver the gift just one for everyone, which is kind of I'm not sure exactly what he means by that. When he says deliver the gift, does he mean just one? In other words, just Eve delivers the gift? I wasn't really sure about what he meant there. Yeah. Well, I don't think we. it's really possible to be 100% sure until we actually see it happen when with Eve, yeah. right? So We find out who stole the sled. Surprise, surprise. Dulak and Lamia are now on the plane. And and before things start to get ugly, Santa succumbs to the poison. The plane's on autopilot. And Eve, how good is she? She tells Jones to give Santa his hat, which we're thinking like, no, don't give him that. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, no, no. That's like the worst thing. And, and, And then Dulak gets suspicious, figures out that it is a talisman, and he now he wants it playing right into Eve's plan. Sure. Puts it on, and then they all tell him what they want. <laughs> tell Lamia to take the sled and go. Yeah. And Lamia's like, no, yeah. take the sled and go. Like the, I would really, you know, like my tip-top Christmas wish would be for her to go. Well, Cassandra goes too far. Yeah, a little yeah. bit, yeah. It would really make <laughs> us happy if you told us how to stop the Serpent Brotherhood. And and it's funny because one of the questions that I had, it seems as if Ezekiel is able to fight the power. Now, can everybody that's wearing the hat fight the power? Clearly, Dulok can. Well, well, yeah, I I guess it's, I mean, even Santa can take it off, right? So I guess it's like, you know, the, the hat. The talisman is still subject to the the mercy of the personality that is you know wearing it. Right. Sure. Exactly. All right. Well, we got that scene. Eve's holding Dulock by the hand as he dangles outside of the plane, and, and of course we wonder whether or not she's just going to let him go. 
given that it's the librarians, given that she's Colonel Eve Baird, it seems unlikely she's going to let him go. Of course, he makes the choice and lets go himself. And, and of course, we know, as he knows, he's not going to die. Yeah, as you know, Jenkins says later, you know, like he's a little too tough to be killed by just falling out of the back of an airplane. Right, but, but Eve seems kind of upset, and I wonder whether she sees this as another war, Dulac another casualty of war, and that she's right back where she started. Sure. Right, right, right. Hey, oh, by the way, did you notice the uh, the number of the plane? I didn't. Because they show it on the nose uh, with the, when they show Santa and Eve. It's C-XM45. And then with the, 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 the lettering, it looks like the four kind of looks like an A, and obviously the five kind of looks like an F, S, I'm sorry. So that's C-X-M-A-S. Oh, nice. Yeah. I just noticed that this time. Oh. I was like, yeah. See, like I said, it's just, it's the little details of this show, you know? Well, there's another little detail that, that I'll mention in a couple of minutes that I, I absolutely did not see the first time, first two times I watched it. Uh, I did notice it the third. All right, so Eve has to land the plane. And as uh, she says, clearly, I'm the only one that's even remotely qualified to land this plane, and I have no idea. Stone, Google how to land, how to lower the landing gear. Yeah, that's probably like, the last words you'd ever want to hear from someone flying a plane. Oh, I know, yeah. but oh my God, there's probably a video that tells oh, you yeah. how to do it. Sure. <laughs> well, they land and take shelter, but Santa can't do his thing because the poison's weakened him. And, and since he's without his hat, it makes it impossible to dispense the goodwill. So he, he points out that they need a new vessel for this night only, and there's no guarantee that a mortal will survive. And and everybody volunteers immediately, which is no surprise. Right. I, I'm not sure if Ezekiel volunteers. Oh, uh, yeah, because he said he was the one who wore the hat. Oh, there you go. There's none here more attuned than the baby born on the last stroke of midnight. And I'm thinking, like, did Eve not know the story about why her parents named her Eve? No, she knew. She just didn't want to hear it. Okay. When a person commits an act of goodwill, it does not just create more goodwill. It forms into something better. Give them back the gift of hope. And obviously, that's what this episode's all about. Sure. Giving Eve you know, a new lease on life, you know, giving her hope. And certainly becoming the guardian of the librarians is a major step. But tonight, you know, Santa takes her all the way. Yeah. So he transfers the power to Eve, who then finds herself in the back of an ambulance with a distraught EMT that's and lost her this patient. Starts one of the most amazing montages I've wow. ever seen in in television. It's just oh. incredible. Oh, I mean, it's one of the most emotional scenes. Yeah, I, I can remember seeing it in, in quite a while. Yeah. Eve touches her shoulder. She gives the guy one more charge. Brings back his pulse. Yep. Burning house, helping a fireman find survivors. But then the one that really got me was the woman in that alleyway about to take a drink from a bottle. And, and, yeah. and you see, I mean, she seems fairly well-dressed. So uh-huh. is this like, you know, ha- has she, you know, plunged to her her absolute low point? Is this it? Is she, is she going to commit suicide? And and, I mean, you just see the, the, the look of like kind of like suffering on her face that, you know, 
we don't know what exactly she's going through, but uh, certainly whatever it is, taking that drink is not going to help it. Right. And sign on the wall right behind her. Oh, I missed that. Garbage only. Oh, nice. Good catch. Then we see a man grieving, though we really don't know why, you know, right. the death of a wife, maybe. I mean, he, he certainly looks that age. Then uh, the Eastern demonstration and the gunfire, I, I'm not sure I really understood that exactly She because she touches the demonstrators and they start chanting again. Right. Well, they give her hope and courage. Oh, okay, courage. Right. That's that's I guess makes sense. And then the woman about to leap to her death from the top of a building. Yeah. Wow. Just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and like it's all done. Very little dialogue. Actually, I don't even know if there's. Yeah. There's no dialogue, right? I like I know the the uh, police officer is yelling at the the girl that's standing on the ledge, but I don't know if we hear what he's saying or anything i think you know we just assume he's saying you know please calm down or whatever so there's no dialogue at all it's just done all we hear is music and once you know it's so funny because when she's in the ambulance she looks uncertain of what she's supposed to do but all the others she has this kind of look of like serenity i almost would say on her face as she helps each of these people and it's just uh, it's just great. Right. The, the first one that you just mentioned it, it, in the ambulance, it, it's almost then eventually she, she instinctively knows what she needs to do. And thereafter, she does know what to do. Right. Well, after that emotional scene, we, we get back to the annex for our episode debrief. Jenkins tells her that uh, Duloc's likely not dead. She's still not going to call him Santa. Well, even when he tries to do the ho-ho-ho, she looks at him like... And then, then winks. Then winks, right. Yeah, yeah. And then, wow, yeah, certainly not emotional in the same way that, that the previous scene was. But then when the three of them yell surprise, they've got a happy birthday banner. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the day I was planning, but it was pretty fine. Yeah, red velvet cake too, man. Yum. <laughs> yeah. And then... Uh, Eve opens a gift from Jones. So how, how stolen is this? <laughs> well, they, is it really considered stolen if no one knows it's gone? <laughs> exactly. And then they, they all realize that they, they each received what they really desired. <laughs> when asked what it was like to play the good guy, it was as horrible as I imagined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but, then, but again, like as you said before, like, is it was he do you really think it was so bad you know sure sure and and then what a great way to bring the episode to a close cassandra says too bad you didn't make a wish colonel it would have come true and eve's humming hark the herald angels mm-hmm. as she's rearranging her desk so the look on her face to me that's what she wished for and now the desk is going to default to her desires and not Flynn's. Okay. Uh, see, I don't think that was the wish at all. I think her wish was more along the lines of to kind of be restored in her uh, faith in humanity, I guess, and everything. If we want to go all Christmassy to say for her to see, because, well, because the reason she hates Christmas, well, not hates, but is, you know, Christmas does not appeal to her is because she sees it as like, you know, 
that there's so much bad in the world that this celebration of love and joy is hypocritical, right? Sure. But because she got to go out and deliver this gift, so her you know, faith in the goodness of humanity is kind of restored. Okay. And well, I think that makes sense. And I think that's kind of what she was secretly wishing for. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see next week. Right. We'll see. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Well, you know, needless to say, as, as I said at the top of the show, I, I give this one an A+. Plus. A+, a plus, yeah. without a doubt, A+. Plus. Yes, no question. Yeah. Well, I mean, anything else you want to mention? I mean, we talked about a lot. We, yeah. We bo- uh, both picked up a lot of details on this one, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, we, I think we got to most most of the uh, the parts that I was that taking notes on everything. Are we going to have to start handing out double pluses? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we can go to double A, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Extra credit, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> what did I tell you at the beginning of the podcast? I don't give extra credit. Right. Well, you know. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm getting ready. Got right. about three three weeks to go. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we go on our sad tale any further, <laughs> want to thank you for joining us tonight. Love to hear from you with follow-ups about any of the pilots we previewed previously or anything else you think we should be watching and of course anything you have to say about the librarians like to encourage you to join the facebook group if you're already a member spread the word emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website and we'll be back next week to discuss season one episode five the librarians and the apple of discord but until then well, Dave, as you said, in a couple of weeks, it's back to work. And, you know, the building's always a little bit different every time we go back. I remember last year, it was like a couple of days before I actually went through a door that wasn't a bathroom. <laughs>